0: I have a lot of things to say and I'm aware that I don't always squeeze them in to quite the appropriate amount of time. So, um, Holy Spirit, I thank you that this passage says that you live within me in these new covenant days and you also live in each person here and they don't even need me to teach them anything because you're within them teaching them what they need to know. So I pray that as I speak that you would be teaching each person here exactly what they need to know this morning, and you'd be leading and guiding me that I focus on the right things first and get to the rest later. The main point in what we are saying is Jesus. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. That in Jesus we have everything that history has been waiting for and we need to not be distracted by any other voices that would call us to anything except Jesus. There might be people saying there's, there's a prophet speaking who has this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't bother going to church this morning. Go and hear that other. There's, there's someone who's, there's signs, wonders and supernatural things happening. There's a prophet but but Hebrews says, well, in the last days God spoke through prophets, but in these days God has spoken through Jesus, and so we can all be prophets. Or or maybe maybe the the distraction is, well, there's this incredible priest and this incredibly elaborate ceremony, and and that's what what we need. But. Hebrews says, no, Jesus is our high priest and he's the one interceding for us in not just some beautiful temple or cathedral, but in heaven itself. And through him, we have access into the very presence of God. Jesus is the only one we need. And if you were a Jew, a Hebrew, like the letter to the Hebrews was was written to, then you might be wrestling with quite a different struggle to maybe the one that is our struggle as 21st century Christians. So I'm going to try and go through this passage and try and help us understand what the point was for the Hebrews receiving this letter from whoever it was who forgot to sign his name. He probably didn't need to because he had given it to someone and they'd be able to tell them who wrote it. But all of us, we're wrestling each week as someone different comes to preach saying, well, I don't know who wrote Hebrews. Sorry, maybe it was Paul, maybe it wasn't. Um, But yeah, so, so for these first century Jews... Well, from a Christian perspective, the first century, because we start counting history again from the moment that Jesus was born. But from their perspective, well, Moses. Was this incredible person who had set the Israelites free from Israel and then given them the law of God and, and transformed them from just being slaves to being a nation, a unique nation chosen by God to demonstrate God's ways to the world? And Moses had given them this, this pattern for how to do life with God's presence at the center with the tabernacle there and the sacrifices morning and evening, the lamb being slain and then the the smoke going up from the altar and God himself in the wilderness being there in that pillar of smoke. And then when the pillar of God started moving, the Levites would quickly say, "Okay, quick, boys, we've got to pack up this tent and follow the presence of God because he's leading us on. And so for 40 years, they're in the wilderness trying to catch up with the presence of God. And occasionally God would stop and they'd stop maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe months, even years. And then suddenly God would start moving again. They would pack up this tent covered in gold and all these precious materials that they'd brought out from Egypt. This beautiful, beautiful tent reflecting the glory and the beauty of God in the middle of this harsh and barren wilderness is this really vivid picture of the contrast between God's glory and our human frailty and and they had that pattern of what God is like and they had the presence of God dwelling there over the ark of the covenant which was hidden in the most holy place in the tabernacle but then then the the levites would pack it all away and the israelites would see there is the ark this golden box in which are the the two tablets of the 10 commandments and the levites would get their their rods and put it through those little loops in the box and put it on their shoulders and carry it forward make sure no one does anything not according to rules because to the rules that god had given because god is terrifyingly holy and there were times in the wilderness when people didn't obey god and terrifyingly swift discipline was exercised on Israel and Moses leads the people of Israel through the wilderness but Moses himself is not obedient enough to God's law to be allowed to enter the promised land and so 40 years come to an end and he himself has to say sorry Israel I can't go with you but I'm going to give you one last exhortation to obey God's law because if You obey it, you will be blessed. So blessed. But if you disobey it, you will be disciplined. You will be punished. And if you still don't turn back to God, things will get worse and worse and worse. Moses gave them these promises that if they obeyed the law, they'd be blessed. But if they didn't, they'd be cursed. And... On first glance, the new covenant now is different from the law. So gloriously different from the old covenant that God gave through Moses. He, um, verse... Well, what are my three points? Let's make them all start with the letter P. Pattern, promise and presence. The the new covenant through Jesus is is better in every way. The old covenant through Moses that God made with the people of Israel, it was just a pattern. But through Jesus, we have the real thing. We have actual access directly to God through Jesus, who himself is God Um, and who reveals to us that, that that God is three persons, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and Jesus who mediates between the Spirit and the Father and the Father who we have to use these human words to get hold of. Except actually God is Father before any human father was Father. His fatherliness is more primal than than. Any human father, he loves us with a love deeper and more meaningful than any human love could even approximate to. All the glory, and it was glorious, of the old covenant with Moses was just a picture, a pattern, a prototype. And the promise through Moses, there was this conditional promise. If you will obey, you will be blessed and my presence will continue to dwell with you. Whereas through Jesus. We have a more glorious promise, a better promise. Hebrews says the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Jesus came and was Slain and died for us on the cross like those lambs that were killed in the law of Moses morning and evening to be sacrificed or whenever the Israelites had some other sin that they had done and they came to the priest and said, oh, I'm sorry, I've broken the law. And so the priest would look up in his copy of the scrolls that Moses had written down. OK, what law has God given us for this transgression of the law or for this um, uncleanness or this disease that you've had, what do we need to do? And the priest would tell the person and they would give their sacrifice. Even Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, after he was born, they went according to the law to the temple and they didn't have enough money to afford a lamb, so they were just allowed to to pay for a little pigeon or a turtle dove. Um, and that was the sacrifice that God commanded to be made for the poor. pattern the promise and the presence God's presence was there in the old covenant this glorious cloud they saw it as fire by night and as smoke by day I kind of imagine it kind of shimmering though even in the day the presence of God glorious and but then at Christmas that first Christmas Jesus comes in the flesh the actual personal presence of God although God's presence had been actual and personal there speaking to Moses in the tabernacle too but now as a human Jesus came and he lived and he like I said he obeyed the laws that Moses had given to Israel but the people of Israel the religious leaders they didn't recognize what God was doing and as Jesus seemed on the one hand to be obeying the law better than ever anyone had before and even at the age of 12 there he is in the temple talking about what the scriptures mean with the best trained doctors and teachers of the law of all Israel and they're astonished by this boy's wisdom and then and then he doesn't really do much for the next couple of decades. But then age 30 or so, suddenly he's coming again and he's teaching and miracles are happening. And yet he's getting into disputes with these religious leaders. When someone gets healed on the Sabbath, is he working and breaking the Sabbath as someone whose job is to be a healer? Or is it that actually the Sabbath is the most obvious day to celebrate God liberating someone and for someone to get healed and little controversies like that begin to provoke the question, Jesus, who are you? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're above the law? Do you think you're greater than Moses? To which the answer is, yes, Jesus is greater than Moses, but no, he's not above the law. Exactly the law Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon of the Mount none of the law, not even a jot or a tittle, not even the tiniest little word or even letter of it will disappear. It will all be fulfilled. And he fulfills the moral requirements of the law, but he also fulfills the prophecies of the law. And he was crucified. And this was a riddle. To someone who knew their law as a Jew, like the Pharisee Saul of Tarsus was, because he knew that if someone was hanged on a tree, that was a sign that they were cursed by God. And I've forgotten the verse, but if I was the apostles, well, if I was Saul of Tarsus, I would be able to tell you exactly where it was in Deuteronomy that it says anyone hanged on a tree is cursed by God. How could Jesus be cursed? The Messiah, if he was cursed by God. But then Saul, the Pharisee, encounters the risen Jesus. And he's forced to reread his whole Bible in the light of the undeniable truth that Jesus is. God, the Son, come to die for our sins, and who rose again from the dead. And and so his whole understanding of the law is reconfigured through his revelation of Jesus. And he realizes that that, that what Moses had said, if you obey the law, you'll be blessed, but if you don't, you'll be cursed. Well, actually, that was only half of what. Moses had said, um, and here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews goes back to Jeremiah chapter thirty-one to talk about the new covenant, where God says, "I'm going to make a new covenant that won't be like the covenant I made in the day when I took my your fathers out of Egypt, for they did not continue in that covenant." And so I showed no concern for them, except God, when he says, I don't care about you. He actually does still care about you. He's just trying to get your attention. (laughs) And the interesting thing is that before there was chapter 31 of Jeremiah, there was chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. And Moses, actually, in his speech at the end of his life, after he's taken the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years with the tabernacle, with the law, trying to teach them what it means to be a moral nation where where morality is, is true and revealed and grounded in the character of God, not just in the whims of some pharaoh, some king who's above any criticism, When Moses makes his final speech there, as the wilderness, as the Israelites are at the edge of the wilderness, about to cross the the Jordan into the Promised Land, he again gives them the law, and Deuteronomy means the second law, the second giving of the law. But as he's getting it to the end, chapters 28 and 29, he, he talks about how they will be blessed if they follow it, and they will be cursed if they don't follow it. But then He kind of slaps his forehead and says you know what I know you're not going to follow it. I've been with you for 40 years. I've been with you doing everything I can to help you understand God's nature his character that he's gracious and that he's merciful and that he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin but he cannot just clear away injustice and sin. He has to do something about it and there's a tension there that Moses never quite resolves actually but we'll come back to it Moses says I know you're not going to fulfill the condition of the promise that's there in the law but he carries on in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy to say but even then even when all the curses all the worst possible things that the law says will happen if you disobey God even after they have all happened God himself will gather you from the nations. God himself will circumcise your hearts. God himself will make you love him with all your heart and soul and strength. And so Jeremiah in chapter 31, when when he says God's going to do something, it won't be like the days of Moses when God brought you out of Egypt. It will be different. God's going to write his law, not on tablets of stone, but on your very hearts. The fascinating thing is that Jeremiah is not saying something different to what Moses said. Because Moses said that too. And so there's there's kind of these, these two perspectives. Step back and the old covenant is law. The new covenant is grace. John 1 says the law came through Moses, but now grace and truth have come through Jesus. Paul in Galatians kind of wrestles with the law is all about works, but, but we were never able to do the works that the law required. So now praise God, we have this promise through faith. And if you're a, a Jew, a Hebrew, tempted to just stick with the law of Moses because it's established and You know, God had done all these things through history. Surely that wouldn't be coming to an end. No, you need to take hold of Jesus. Don't go back to Moses, stick with Jesus. Or if, you know, you're a slightly moralistic Christian brought up in a good family and and tempted to think that the the law of God is something that you can obey and that's all you need and the promise isn't quite so important. No, Jesus is what we need. But I think for some of us, the, the challenge is less that we're tempted to be legalists and the challenge is maybe that we're tempted to, to just throw away Moses and the scriptures completely. And and we think, yes, Jesus and grace, but the law, well, maybe for the first few thousand years of history before Jesus, God kind of worked through laws, but but now... There's, there's no law at all. And, and I don't want to compromise the grace of God at all in any way. No matter what you've done, don't get law. Don't let law be an obstacle to you coming to Jesus. Because in the new covenant, through the cross, every sin, every transgression is forgiven. And even if you're a thief and a murderer, just look to Jesus while he's hanging on the cross next to you and say, Lord. Today, remember me when you come into your kingdom like the thief on the cross did. And Jesus will look back to you and say, today, I say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. Because the promise is so simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But if you don't die that first day when you've believed in Jesus... Don't throw out all the Old Testament scriptures. Because actually, although zooming out, it looks like there's a first covenant that's kind of mainly about law and a new covenant that now is clearly about grace. Actually, these two kind of different dynamics of of law and grace, they're kind of different aspects of God's character. Because God is pure love, pure grace, pure mercy. And if you come to him confessing your sin on his terms, he will forgive you. Absolutely. But God is also good. Which means he's moral, which means he's holy. He's a consuming fire which is a phrase that the writer of Hebrews later gets to. And so if we are going to make a covenant, a holy promise to be God's people, then we have to live our lives according to God's ways. And so Jesus comes and the main message that he preaches, at least initially, is this the Sermon on the Mount. Or in Luke's version, it's the Sermon on the Plain after he's come down from the mount. And it's subtly, slightly different. But basically, he's preaching from the same sermon, maybe in a slightly different context. And he says, I've not come to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. And I'm raising the bar of what you think the law is. You've got to to be holier than anyone thinks is possible. You've got to let God transform you completely. And yes, you will stumble and you will fail. (laughs) But your heart needs to be committed to this reality. And and this kind of paradox of grace and yet instructions has been there all the way through. We can zoom back all the way through to Adam and Eve in the garden. And God gave them just one rule wasn't that difficult to obey. They could eat from any tree in the garden except one. But the serpent comes in and says something that causes Eve to then eat and then give to Adam and they eat. And when God comes to meet with them in the evening, they have died spiritually. They have sinned and the wages of sin is death. And God had said to them, in the day that you sin, you will die. But physically, he didn't kill them. Physically, he clothed them with animal skins, which meant an animal had to die. And Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And yet, from that point, humanity has been spiritually dead. And so faced with a God who's gracious yet holy, we don't understand grace, but we kind of understand rules. And so we think it's all about rules. And God's been slowly making covenants, Adam and Eve, then Noah, then then Abraham, then Moses, then David, then finally the new covenant through Jesus, which in one sense makes every covenant before it obsolete. But in another sense, well, actually, I like the illustration of the tape and the CD, and maybe now you're... Spotify on your phone and your whatever it is. Maybe now that you've got Spotify, you can throw away all your old CDs or your tapes, or maybe you don't want to. But if, you, but the thing is, it's not exactly about the, the container of that music, the point is the music. And if all the music that you want to listen to is on those old tapes and you can't get it on Spotify or if you could they'd you know stick an advert between every song to try and persuade you to sign up for their premium service. You maybe want to stick with those tapes because it's not about the tapes, it's about the music. And it was never about the outward rituals of tabernacle and law, it was about being God's people. Even now in the new covenant we have a church congregation to come to and we need certain rules for how we do things. Who's going to get paid by the church and how are we going to fund this building to keep it warm enough or, you know, we need things to, to address these things or even for us as a nation, a nation in which for more than a thousand years there have, there have been Christians trying to work to to bends the laws of this nation in a slightly more godly direction and sometimes God's people have succeeded and sometimes not and sometimes maybe through succeeding maybe they've accidentally made things worse because you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions and when we come back to the old testament of God's the story of God's old covenant people we find That God was still saving people through faith. Abraham was still saved through faith. Paul makes a lot of this. But the writer of Hebrews, even if he's not, Paul agrees. And when we get to Hebrews 11, we'll find a long list of heroes of the faith. And they're all old covenant heroes. And so if we want to, to understand how to lead our families or transform our nations or... Whatever it is, where do we find examples of people who are in a a nation that kind of knew God, but was kind of casting off its godly heritage? Where do we go to? Well, Jeremiah might be a good example. But on the other hand, our reality is completely different. Because Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in their heart, written on their heart in the way that we do even as the spirit was in some way resting on them, inspiring them to write what is now inspired scripture. And nothing that you or I write is going to be added to the canon of inspired scripture. And yet there is a privilege that we have that they never had. So hopefully I haven't confused you um, too much. But if I have, I trust that the spirit will keep just provoking your hearts until you find that precious revelation. On the one hand, if you're zoomed out, standing away at a distance from God, the new covenant is simple, pure grace in a way that the old covenant with all its laws was not. On the other hand, as you step in and you say yes to the grace of God held out to you in Jesus, you find that all of scripture Speaks of a God who has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. From the moment that he created humanity all through history as he so slowly, so patiently, so painstakingly worked through Israel to do something that would give every nation of the world a way of understanding who he was and how God's ways Influence everything that we could possibly do. There is wisdom here in this book. So in one sense, the old covenant is completely obsolete. And not long after Hebrews was written, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Just to make it completely clear, they did not need to carry on doing those sacrifices morning and evening because Jesus has now done it once and for all. But on the other hand, that story of actually, it's not just one covenant before the new covenant through Jesus that God made through Moses with Israel. But with Adam, God made a sort of covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses, with David. There's this string of covenants. And as God's covenant people, we need to understand the beauty, the preciousness of this word covenant. And If you'll allow me just a couple more minutes, I want to give an example of covenant and how a covenant can make a previous covenant obsolete while in some ways just affirming its importance. And the examples are engagement and marriage. When I asked Taryn to marry me, I gave her a a diamond ring actually, no, I wasn't well enough organized. When I asked her to marry me, it was kind of on the spur of the moment. And I didn't have a ring at all, but I just got down on one knee and said, will you marry me? And then it took quite a while before things kind of fell into place that I was able to give her that ring. But I did eventually. And and then we had to spend a long time organizing quite an important ceremony in quite an Old Covenant sort of way. There's, there's a lot of importance and significance in, in ceremony. And then finally we had that ceremony. We got married. It was a beautiful wedding and she looked glorious in her white dress. And on that day, our engagement became obsolete. I'm no longer engaged to Darren. I'm now married to her. And now that we've got kids, we no longer have so much time to, to, to for such elaborate, beautiful ceremonies. In fact, even if you heard of Murray Kondo, the tidying expert, apparently she said, now I've got three kids, my house isn't quite so tidy. Um, <laughs> but this new covenant, this golden wedding ring made the diamond ring obsolete but does it mean it's meaningless? No. And it's the same with God. Amen.